We continue in Romans chapter 12. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Romans chapter 12. I'll be reading verses 9 through 21 this morning. Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with familial affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be lazy in love. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give sight to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing so, you will, be, you will heap burning coals on their head. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. My gracious Heavenly Father, be with me as I preach this word. May it be your word to your people. Praying this in Christ's name, amen. So we continue in Romans 12, this exploration of genuine love, and we've been moving slowly through each one of these exhortations, and today we come um, in verse 13 uh, to this line, seek to show hospitality. So on the first day of Advent, I think that this is... uh, This is an appropriate thing to be thinking about. Advent, as Victor said, is a word that means arrival. So as we worship today, I want us to consider how Jesus came to us. He came in a certain way. A few years ago, I read a book called, it was a great book, called A Meal with Jesus, Discovering Grace, Community, and Mission Around the Table. And in it, the author, Tim Chester, asks this question. He asks, how would you complete this sentence? The Son of Man, who is Jesus, the Son of Man came to blank. Fill it in, like a Mad Lib. (laughs) The Son of Man came to, how would you finish that sentence? The Son of Man came to preach the good news. The Son of Man came to establish his kingdom, the Son of Man came to die for sinners. What would you say the Son of Man came to? 
All of the ideas that I mentioned are good ideas. Uh, they're not off the mark. Um, but the author, uh, but Tim Chester notes in his book that the New Testament actually completes that sentence three times. There are three times when that sentence is complete. The first is Mark ten forty five, which says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The next is Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. And the last is Luke 7.34. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He came eating and drinking. And then Chester makes the observation, the first two scriptures tell us why Jesus came. The the third tells us how he did that. The first two are statements of purpose. Why did Jesus come? He came to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom. He came to seek and save the lost. The third is a statement of method. How did he get that message across? How did he draw people to himself? How did Jesus come? He came eating and drinking. And if you think about it, that is how he came. So much of Jesus' life, his actions, and the stories that take place around him take place in the context of meals and banquets. They're concerned with the ordinary interactions between guests and host. Jesus pursued and sought hospitality. If you just look at the Gospel of Luke, you can look at any of the Gospels, but the Gospel of Luke in particular. One commentator said, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Jesus extended hospitality. His life was an ordinary life. He extended a hospitable presence. And that is how he served and sought and saved. It wasn't how he saved sins, but it's how he drew people to himself. And it's how he gave the world a picture of the Father's heart and showed them what the end game was. Them in communion with God. In friendship with God. Little foretastes of the end game throughout his mission. So Jesus didn't run projects. He didn't establish ministries. Jesus didn't create programs or run events. He ate meals. He threw parties. His mission strategy was a long meal with strange people stretching long into the evening. And he called his disciples to follow him in this. And we see that they got the message. The early church in the book of Acts, when their fellowship was established, it's described like this. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Outside of that description of the early church, an early church gathering is only described one more time in the book of Acts, and this is what it says. They gathered together to break 
bread. You take our text today, Romans 12, 13, which is just pursue hospitality, and it's echoed in the New Testament all over the place. 1 Peter 4, 8, offer hospitality to one another with, without grumbling. My favorite, Hebrews 13, 22, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I love that wacky little verse. Hospitality was so important to the early church that it was a test of character and a requirement for leadership. One of the requirements for elders is that they be hospitable. And it's interesting to consider what we think important. Things like a seminary degree. That didn't seem too important to the early church leaders. But what was required was for a person to be hospitable. Perhaps that's because church meetings were family meals. How could you lead a family meal if you weren't hospitable? How could you extend the generous welcome of the gospel if you couldn't even welcome people into your home? The message was clear. It was important to Jesus. It was important to the early church. And if this idea of practicing hospitality was so central to Christ's mission, it's so central to the early church's mission, it should be central to ours. Seek to show hospitality. I've been thinking a lot about the church's mission, like what the church does and what it has to offer the world. And I think if you ask someone, what does the church have to offer the world, they would say true and holy things like Jesus and the gospel. But I think if you really drilled down and, see, and, and, and thought, what does someone really expect from the church, they would say good content entertainment, podcasts to inspire you, messages to inspire you, um, worship to entertain you, content. Think about what you think about when you grow. What does it look like for you to spend time with Jesus? Is it to consume content But the church's mission has not been about content. It's been about communion. Communion with God and communion with others. That's what we're doing here. And if that's true, if the church's mission mission is about communion, then everybody's a part of it. If the church is about content then you are a consumer. If it's about communion, then you are a participant and a host. And that's the thing. We can make community and mission sound like specialized activities that belong to experts. We can believe that mission is set apart for dynamic personalities who can hold an audience or can lead a movement. It's easy to push the idea of mission beyond the scope of quote-unquote ordinary Christians. But here's the deal. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. It ain't complicated. It's not always easy. 
because it involves people invading your space and go to going in parts of your home that you don't feel comfortable with, <laughs> dirtying your bathroom. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. If you share a meal a couple times a week and if you offer people hospitality, friendship, glad welcome, ordinary rest, human dignity, enjoyable provision all around a table with a passion for Jesus in your heart, then you will be building up the Christian community and reaching out in mission. We live in a world that is overly entertained but underloved. You know that verse in, in Matthew 10 where it says, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in my name, truly I tell you that person will not lose their reward. Well, the world of the, the New Testament was a desert. And so a cup of cold water was one of the most life-giving things imaginable. In our consumeristic world, what would be the equivalent of being handed a cup, a cup of cold water? I think it would be for someone to put their phone down and to invite someone to a table and to give them two hours of their undivided attention. Sometimes the church can be about the show and it misses the relationship. Some, we can do that in our homes too, can't we? We can, we can be so busy entertaining people that we miss to give them ourselves there's a wonderful proverb i thought about this week at thanksgiving it says proverbs fifteen seventeen, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it and i thought of an old seminary professor telling me about a time he and his wife were invited to christmas dinner at the household of a seminary student and the woman of the house had made this incredible Christmas dinner. She'd gotten the finest turkey and had this banqueting table with the richest of foods. And her son was home for the holidays. And she and her son didn't get along. Uh, so there was this great meal before them in this very nice home. And I can remember my seminary professor describing the tremendous tension and hostility that existed between the mother and the son. Have you ever been to a dinner where you could feel the tension between two people? And so they began Christmas dinner, and she asked her estranged son to lead in prayer. And there was about two minutes where nothing happened in this very tense situation until finally he blurted out, and I'm cleaning up the language here, Darn it, mother! You know I don't pray! And that's just how the dinner went. Now, frankly, I think that anyone would have rather had a chicken wing, you know, and a few split peas with real love rather than a beautiful dinner with all the fighting going on. Money can't buy the love between a mother and a son. Money can't buy attention so all the, the food and wine in the world couldn't supply the deepest needs in that home. You can spend, and the same thing is true, you can spend a lot of time decorating your house, shopping for your gifts, stressing yourself out, 
going into debt. We go after all this stuff so harried and we become so exhausted and irritable that we miss out on creating the environment that we really want to create. Trees lined with gifts, tables lined with food, but love is lacking. Don't busy yourself out of what's really important because what's important is yourself. Seek to show hospitality. So that's what we are to seek. Now let's just spend a few minutes talking about who we are to seek. You still with me? Let's go. The word for hospitality in Greek is beautiful. It's philoxenia. It's a compound word combining philos, which is the word for friend, and xenos, which is the word for stranger. So not xenophobia, the fear of the other. This is stranger friend love. Turning the stranger into a friend. Let's think about what that means that Paul is using that in this context to these Romans. He's already talked about brotherly affection. Now he talks about stranger love. For these Romans, that would have meant opening their hearts up first to people not like them. Remember that this is being written to a group of Jews and Gentiles who weren't getting along. And here he's saying, practice stranger love. Throughout the Old Testament, this word is used to describe receiving traveling Christians that you wouldn't know. There weren't Airbnbs and hostels and hotels. People were reliant upon one another for care. And so the expectation was that Christians would always receive other Christians, even if you didn't know their story. And even enemies. It's interesting. This is at the hinge part of this passage. Everything before this exhortation has been about how we treat folks within the church. Everything after will be about how we treat folks outside of the church. And the word seek here is the word pursue, which is the very same word that's used to describe persecution in the very next verse. And so it's saying... (laughs) Right before it says people are going to pursue you, it says pursue strangers in hospitality. So they are pursuing you with hate, but you should be pursuing them with love. And then think about how he ends this whole passage. If your enemy is hungry, what? Give them something to eat. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Stranger love. Folks not like you. People that you don't know, even your enemies. Sounds like the kind of monthly crew that Jesus would have around his table, doesn't it? You think about his life, and he would certainly have meals with his disciples. But think about all the times he would just eat with a perfect stranger. 4,000 or 5,000 perfect strangers. And Jesus, the host, providing the meal. He would eat with people not like him. Ethnic minorities. Think about that tender interaction between him and the Samaritan woman in John 4 where they're giving one another refreshment in conversation. He would receive his enemies. 
Think about all the times he eats with the Pharisees, the ones who are always trying to pursue him and trip him up. And he still has them always around his table. But you know who we get to see him eating with most of all? It's wonderful. Tax collectors and sinners. Jesus made stranger love his calling card. And when he talked to his disciples, he said that the parties you throw, they're supposed to resemble the parties that I would throw. So listen to his instructions to hosts in Luke 14, verses 12 through 14. He said also to the man who had invited him to the party, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And that idea of him repaying hospitality with eternal reward, that isn't just found in Luke 14, but it's that haunting passage in Matthew 25 about the separation of the sheep and the goats. What is the criteria by which the sheep and the goats are identified and separated? Well, let's just look at it. Matthew 25. Verses 34 through 40. I'll just start reading now. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to this. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Jesus wants us to welcome the stranger because he so deeply identifies with them. It's one of the wonderful things we remember at Christmas, isn't it? How he came into the world, not into the Hiltons and into the palaces of the world, but the dirty manger behind the Holiday Inn. So, We're not only supposed to show hospitality to our close friends and loved ones. That's true. But we're called to show hospitality to strangers, to people outside of our social networks, people outside of our tribe. In fact, the Bible says the deepest hospitality should be reserved for the people who are furthest away, the lame and the poor and the orphan and the widow and the hurting. Those are the people we're supposed to be inviting in. That's who we're supposed to feed and shelter and make room for. It's about 
It's about going and welcoming people that the world excludes, the unlovely, the unwealthy, the unconnected. And so in a season where we spend so much time and energy and money on our tribe and our family, and rightly so, should not we consider what it looks like to open up ourselves a little bit to others? To keep one chair open for the stranger, the lonely, the hurting, the sick, the shut-in, the grumpy, the socially awkward. And when I said grumpy, I wasn't looking at you, Mark. <laughs> just the other, just the other, even the enemy. I know it's heavy, but feel the challenge of it. Jesus is messing with you. <laughs> he is messing with me. So how do we do it? Well, there's an interesting text at the end of Romans 15. So this is just a few chapters later where uh, Paul says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live with such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the main verse. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. For the glory of God, as Christ has welcomed you. Christ has welcomed you. Um, man, Philoxenia, like stranger love, has always been a part of God's heart from the very beginning. And so when you look to the um, when you look to this call that the Israelites were had to welcome the stranger, it's interesting to say to see why God was telling them to do this. They were always to remember their time in Egypt as foreigners and how God had welcomed them in. And so this is from Deuteronomy chapter 10. We'll see this is always a part of God's heart. It says, God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the stranger, giving them what? Food and clothing. And you are to love those who are sojourners. Why? For you, yourselves, were sojourners in Egypt. And then Leviticus 19. When a stranger sojourns or sojourner lives with you in your land, do not mistreat them. The stranger who sojourns with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love them as yourself. Why? For you were strangers in the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. And so the children of Israel were to overcome fear and prejudice and show hospitality to others because that was the way their gracious God had treated them. Think about how God has treated you. He's brought you near. You know, when Paul describes our condition in Christ, before Christ, he describes us as outsiders. So in Ephesians 2, he writes, Remember that you who were formerly Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcision, you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners from the covenant of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Separate, excluded, foreigners, hopeless. And in the story of redemption, we are strangers and sojourners. We are the outsiders, and God brings us in.
We often forget what our lives were like before God saved us. Like we project ourselves into the story of salvation in such distorted ways. Misreading scripture as though we are the insider group. We're like not the, we're not the center of the world. We're the ends of it. And the Lord brought us in. He went to such great lengths to secure us a place at the table. He entered into a world where there was no room for him at the end. Where he had to sleep with the animals. His adult life, he spent most of it homeless so that we could find a home. He was crucified outside of the city gates. Homeless. Again, no place to lay his head. And all of this so that he could make a space for us forever to be with our heavenly father. Tax collectors and sinners, everyone whose heart experiences joy when they hear the news that Jesus welcomes people just like us. Jesus came into the world in order to get you to his banquet. He brings you near. He brings me near. Now we have this love that compels us and, friends, obligates us to love and welcome That's the reason we give hospitality. Because there are millions of more open seats around the banquet. And he's saying, I'm sending you out. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you eating and drinking. To be my hands and feet in the world and to extend hospitality and friendship and glad welcome and human dignity. And to have a place around the table for everybody. And so as we prepare to host our loved ones, let's first remember what's important. Love. Relationship. Don't weary yourself out with the stuff that doesn't matter. And as we plan for our loved ones, let's leave a spot open for the stranger. Because Jesus came once as a child and he will come Again, to judge the living of the dead. But you know how he comes to us today? As the stranger. As the hurting one. As the prisoner. As the needy. This is how Diedrich Bonhoeffer opened his Advent devotional. As long as there are people, Christ will walk the earth as your neighbor. As the one through whom God calls you, speaks to you and makes demands on you. That is the great seriousness and blessedness of the Advent message. Christ is standing at the door. He lives in the form of a human being among us. Do you want to close the door or open it? It may strike us to see as strange to see Christ in such a near face, but he said it. Christ is knocking. Seek to show hospitality. Welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this message. We do give you praise and thanks for your hospitality towards us. And as we come to your table, I pray that you by your love would meet us here and draw us near. We give you love and praise In the strong name of Jesus, amen.